This is Ira Glass of This American Life, and you're listening to PF's Tape Recorder. Hello there, I'm PF. This is my tape recorder. Coming up... Um, when we had someone over from WGBH Boston who'd heard about the show, and he watched it with us, and when the, when the second, second show finished... Uh, screening and we uh, the lights went on and we looked at him he looked as though he'd seen a ghost white as a sheet because he could see his career just ending overnight if he had anything to do with us and he staggered out yes that is john cleese from monty python and uh, probably the biggest guest we have ever had on the podcast what a fabulous chat we had with him that'll be coming up in just a few minutes but first uh, i understand we probably have some new listeners coming on board because of uh, having such a huge guest. So for those of you not in the know and that aren't fast-forwarding through this to get to the John Cleese interview, uh, the way this works is we do the intro, and then we play what we call a dumb bit, which is usually produced in-house, quite literally in-house, like in my house, I produce it at home. But uh, in honor of John Cleese being on, I decided to go into the archives and dig out uh, two of the more popular Uh, professionally produced dumb bits. Uh, These are things I wrote for a couple of defunct radio services, one in Denver, one in Boston, but I wrote them, but they were professionally produced by professionals in a radio studio, again, in Denver and in Boston, respectively, or depending which order I played them in, Boston or Denver, respectively. But anyway, so we'll listen to a couple of dumb bits, uh, they're what we call fake commercials in the broadcasting parlance, and then on the other side of that, it'll be John Cleese. First, there was Vanilla Coke. Then, Pepsi jumped on the bandwagon with Pepsi Vanilla. And now, Pepsi is trying to rip off Coke in an even bigger way. Introducing Pepsi Coke. It's Pepsi with the flavor of Coke. Mmm, I haven't had Pepsi this good since the last time I had a Coke. That's because the can says Pepsi, but the taste says Coke. Wow, Pepsi Coke is awesome. See, some 20-something gulped it down and said it was awesome, so it's gotta be good. And it comes in every possible variety. There's Diet Pepsi Coke 1, Caffeine-Free Pepsi Coke, Caffeine-Free Diet Pepsi Coke, Cherry Pepsi Coke, Lemon Cherry Diet Pepsi Coke Blue, and Caffeine-Free Lemon Cherry Diet Pepsi Coke Blue with Caffeine. Wow, I had no idea the taste of all my favorite Pepsi flavors would taste better with a taste of Coke. Take the Pepsi Coke taste test today and see if you can tell if you're tasting Pepsi or Coke or both. Pepsi Coke. It's the Pepsi name you know with the taste of Coke you love. How many times has this happened to you? I'll be back in a minute. I'm going to the restroom. Hmm. Flounders or snappers? Ooh. Let's try snappers. Sorry, wrong door. If you're a guy or girl on the go, then you know theme restaurant bathroom designations can be misleading. But now you don't ever have to be confused again because you've got the Restroom Thesaurus. The Restroom Thesaurus lists every possible combination of male-female euphemism. Blokes and birds, bantams and hands, shoots and ladders, bobsleds and moguls, endomorphs and gynecomorphs. Yes, the Restroom Thesaurus is your one-stop source for avoiding embarrassing entrances into the wrong bathroom. Seafood restaurants. Oh, let's see. Buoys and gulls, bulkheads and portholes, hornpipes and shanties. Oh, here we go. Flounders are men. All right. Never walk into the wrong restroom again with the Restroom Thesaurus because you don't want to take a shot in the dark. They say some cliches are true, and one of those in this case is a man who needs no introduction. Here now is our interview with John Cleese. 
Mr. Wilson. Hello, Mr. Cleese. Do we, uh, do I call you P.S. or what? Uh, P.F. is fine. Uh, uh, whatever you're most comfortable yes. with. Yes, I- I've been doing this for 25 years and I rarely get starstruck, but I gotta say, uh, this is a big one. I'm a little nervous. <laughs> I don't Isn't know. Isn't that nervous. nice? What manifestation uh, does your nervousness take? Uh, probably because I've been watching you since, um, uh, the 70s. No, I mean, what are the symptoms? Oh, little, little, little nervous stomach, uh, a you know, little, little shaky, uh, and, you know, I do these every day, and, uh, with, without a problem, but, uh, and plus, you know, I'm aware of your, the, the, the time constraint we have here, so, um, I'm sure I get everything in. Um, so I guess we'll start with... That's very nice of you. I love the idea that I can inspire such fear in people. I'm <laughs> such well, yeah, well, uh, that w- might have been a, a good calling, but then w- the comedy world would have uh, been at a loss. Because <laughs> it's, it's so way what too... can I tell you, P.S.? I'm sitting here in my hotel room in a town called Cleveland. Have you come across Cleveland in your travels? I am from Cleveland. I am from a little town east of there called Mentor. Mentor, M-E-N-T-O-R? That is correct. That's very civilized. Yeah. Good heavens. I've met people from Cleveland, but I've never met anyone who actually admitted that they live there. So that's a bit, but that's nice. I'm glad. But you left Cleveland. What age were you when you left? Uh, we moved down after we were married, so I was probably 25. So I'm 50 now, so. Oh, I see. So you're not sort of decontaminated. Right, right. right. We were just up there uh, to see a baseball game and to uh, go to a concert uh, two weekends ago. So we're still, we still visit. And do you have your um, unbreaking run of victory still? No. Is it 22? It was 22, and then we saw them the night the streak ended, and then they proceeded to go and run off nine more, and then they lost last night, and then they're uh, they're back at it again. So. Really? Yeah. Really? But are they going to be champions after that well, run, I, or not necessarily? I hope so. It's, it's tough. Uh, but, I mean, it looks good. I mean, they look like they can beat anybody, so hopefully we... Fingers crossed, as we say. Isn't that good? Yeah. So what can I tell you, P.S.? You know what happens. They show the movie. Yes. And then I go up on stage, normally with a local radio host, and he asks or she asks a few questions, and then we open it up to the audience. And I get wonderfully silly questions from the audience. And that's the evening. And people seem to love it. It's the easiest money I've ever made. I can't believe it's like falling off a log. <laughs> you go. And I know probably people ask you various versions of this question, but I still must ask, are you surprised that when you guys were traipsing around the English countryside, did you have any inclination that this would become the cultural touchstone that it has become? Absolutely not. In fact, we had almost exactly the opposite. I mean... Um, I was invited into the Playboy Club by um, a fellow called Victor Lowndes. And uh, he he said to me, I love Monty Python. I've been watching it on television, but it'll never get on to American television. So let's make a movie of it that they can put on in college campuses. In other words, his assumption was we would never get an American television. And when we had someone over from WGBH Boston, who'd heard about the show, and he watched it with us. And um, when, the, when the second sh- second show finished uh, screening, and we uh, the lights went on, and we looked at him, he looked as though he'd seen a ghost. <laughs> White as a sheet, because he, th- he could see his career just ending overnight if he had
had anything to do with this, and he staggered out, <laughs> muttered a few words, and disappeared forever. So we never, ever expected to get on American television. Wow. Absolutely true. That surprises me. It's funny, because whenever people talk about the movie, there's certain scenes that seem to resonate with Americans. The Black Knight is one. But the scene I've always enjoyed the most is the one with you and Terry, where he uh, is trying to ask the crowd in the village how you determine if somebody is a witch or not. And just the way you brilliantly deliver that line hesitantly, because because she's made of wood, it always kills me. But there was also a line about... Um... She turned me into a newt. Yes, that's right. Yeah, my dad. Yeah, that's that a one. very funny scene. That I, yeah. it's funny. I think the first fifty minutes of Holy Grail is is really wonderfully funny. Yes, really, really funny. The best of our stuff. But I don't think the second half of it's so good. Hmm. And I'm beginning to persuade people that I'm right. In fact, <laughs> yesterday I re-edited the ending. Nobody's ever done that before. Oh. And I'm going to show it to audiences and say, I think my ending's better than the one that we have in the film. What do you think? Because the conversation afterwards gets very, it gets very amusing. I have most extraordinary question. Somebody said to me a couple of days ago, if you could turn one of the other Monty Pythons into a dessert, what would it be? <laughs> Wow. That's a wonderful question. And another woman asked me whether whether I thought that the Queen had killed Diana. That uh, caused a certain quiet to descend on the audience. Wow. The only noise in the theatre was me laughing. Hmm. Uh, you know, another, there's also been another debate about what what is better, Holy Grail or, or Life of Brian. And I have to say my funniest scene of any of the movies is the stoning. Uh with you and that's very funny oh my god yeah like another one just kills me every time <laughs> um and it upsets our uh, the some of the uh, orthodox uh, jews um because uh, you know the whole film was condemned yes like the brian was condemned by uh the catholics it was condemned by the calvinists it was <laughs> condemned by the presbyterians it was condemned by the Orthodox Jews, the liberal Jews, um, and uh, one other, I think seven people, seven groups said that the people who followed their religion should not see this film. And people said, did that worry us? And Eric said, no, it's a, we've done a very good job. It's the first time in 2,000 years they've been able to agree on anything. <laughs> Exactly. It's funny because uh, in my other job, I have to interview a lot of uh, corporations and marketing people. And I interviewed a lady yesterday who owns a uh, kind of a boutique cheese making operation in Wisconsin. And she kept saying cheese makers. And I kept saying, blessed are, thinking, blessed are the cheese makers. What's so special about them? <laughs> Probably because I had this. She didn't get the reference. No. But. Um, that's so, very funny. I like that very much. So if this goes well, will there be any plans to show Life of Brian and then take questions about that? You know, I would love to do that. And I'm, I'm pleased you ask me. I would, I would really love to do it. But I don't think it would be as safe as it was in uh, whatever it was, 1979. Uh, because, um, uh, you know, there are people who blow up abortion uh, clinics and kill oh. doctors, and I, I wouldn't want to die out on the road in one of these little theaters in the Midwest. I would be rather sad about that. Yeah. I like life more and more as I get older. Oh. But what do you think? Do you think I could get away with it? Because it would be interesting. I think in, in certain places, but now that you mention it, people are nuts. So <laughs> you might want... Yeah, it, it might want to. You might want to rethink that uh, now that you mention it. Yeah, 
Well, Bill Maher asked me on television, he said, well, would you make, you made jokes about Christianity, would you make jokes about uh, about Islam? And I said, well, no, because I might get killed. I mean, you know, you've got to bear that in mind. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of controversy uh, around that when... Mar said that. Yeah, I, don't, yeah. I don't think he's. I don't think he's wrong. You know, but you, may, you say the wrong thing, and someone will pronounce a fatwa, and then people will be encouraged to to, to kill you. I mean, this is uh, this is not the the English way. You know, no, not at all. Um, is does it kind of surprise you the way things have? Uh, or not surprise you, but is it interesting to you that comedy's kind of changed over the years as to what people find funny and what people kind of uh, have grown used to? Because although oddly. I think Monty Python is still fresh. People, you know, it isn't like when you watch the guy like Charlie Chaplin, you know, swing around and almost get hit by a ladder. We've seen that a million times, but we still haven't seen anything quite like Python or or even early Saturday Night Live or Second City. Or, or no, it's, like it's, it's very, um, it's a cause of pride that so many of the top American comedians, particularly the Saturday Night Live crowd, by which I mean that, group spread over 30 or 40 years, they all say how uh, I influence them. I find that a very great compliment. That makes me feel proud. But at the same time, I can't necessarily see it on the screen because normally if you do something successful, people try to copy it. Yeah. But I, I, I've seen very, very few shows which were really trying to be like Monty Python. But the important thing is we did something very fresh and new. And a lot of people have said to me that that's why they went into comedy, because they suddenly saw possibilities that they're not seen before. Yeah, and to give you an idea of how timeless it is, I teach comedy writing to young people, and two of the things I show them are the parrot, the dead parrot sketch, and the argument clinic, which are two of my, and they uh, laugh like they laugh like hell at them, and these are just you know, uh, ten, eleven, twelve year old kids, and but they get it, and it's you know they think this is genius, so it's it still it still works, whereas maybe the Three Stooges, you know, eh, you know, although people do love their well, stooges. I don't know. I think the Three Stooges could be very funny, but uh, yeah. you know, it's not. It's uh, I don't want to sound sanctimonious, but it's not easy to produce original comedy. Very few people can do it, right. and even the greats made quite bad movies. If you watch, uh, for example, Marx Brothers movie, some of it is wonderful, and some of it is pretty awful. Um, so, uh, you know, if, if if you can inspire people to watch some of the old comedy and they can wade through the bits that aren't so good and just watch the good things, I think that's great. I was on a boat about two years ago and a guy was lecturing who was writing a biography of Sid Caesar and I went to hear about it, fascinating, and then he showed two clips. And I'm not kidding you, those two clips were funnier than anything I'd seen for a couple of years. So what I would say to your young students is, go back and look at some of the great old comedies. Go and look yeah. at some of the scenes from Great Dictator, you know, when Chaplin was playing Hitler. Um, go back and look at the best stuff. Don't assume that the latest comedian is the greatest of all time, because he or she almost certainly isn't. Sure. Yeah, well, and it's in, and not the Three Stooges or Charlie Chaplin's fault, or even the Mark Brothers, that some of the stuff had been appropriated over and over again, you know, across the next, you know... Well, that's years. right, because those guys, I mean, Buster Keaton, Chaplin, Harold Lloyd, Marx Brothers, they were kind of laying down the rules of comedy, I think, so of course they're going to be uh, copied, because they discovered what the rules were. And, you know, when you say things, you know, don't always work, the uh, the... 
movie reviewer Siskel and Ebert famously used to say that, well, judging a comedy movie is much easier because if it's funny, it's funny. And I always thought that was odd because I'm like, I don't think that's true because there's a lot of movies I always thought were funny that people didn't find funny at all and, and vice versa. No, you're quite right. People don't realize how much range of opinion there is, but I notice it because I tell you what I do sometimes, not in this show. But I have another show where I show clips, some of them from Python, and what I swatch the first three rows because I can see them from the light reflected off the screen. And what you find is they're all laughing at different times. Yes. They don't all laugh together at the same moment. Some of them laugh, some of them don't, some of them smile, one of them looks bored, and then a moment later, the one who's looking bored is laughing his head off. Do you see what I mean? Oh, yeah. So, uh, it's, but if you sit in, 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 in an audience, laughter's infectious, but if people watch films separately in their own house on that TV screen, they have a much more different reaction to whether they like it. I can always remember a dinner when we were all sitting in London, and six of us were all saying what fans we were of, of, of Woody Allen, and then nobody could agree on what was his best film. Uh-huh. In fact, several people thought his best film was what I thought was his worst film. Life and Death, or whatever it was called. Yeah. Death and Death, that one. Which I then saw again and decided actually was much better than I thought. Then I saw something else. Uh, what was it? Sleep. Something to do with sleep. What was it called? Sleep. Uh, oh, uh, and, uh, which I, Yeah, I loved it so much the first time. And I didn't think it was funny at all the second time. So it's partly to do with the, what, what mood you're in. You know, yeah. you can watch a slow comedy if you're in a good mood. But if you're in an anxious mood, it seems to be a waste of time. That's true, and some comedies don't age well. I went back and watched uh, Spinal Tap, and my college roommate said, oh, I watched it, and it didn't really, it wasn't as hilarious as I remember it being. And I, I went back and looked at it, too, and I'm like, oh, the funny parts are still really funny, but I'm like, yeah, some of the ancillary stuff. I guess you had kind of in that, where you are in that time of your life, maybe that's what also made it funny as well. So that could have something to do with it. Well, I had, the difficulty I had is it was it relied on a certain knowledge of the rock music industry, and I never, yeah. I know this will stand you, I'd never liked rock music. Um, and it's, I never listened to it, so I just didn't get most of the jokes. So that's the kind of very, very uh, personal reaction that one can have to something. And uh, there are several films that I think are absolutely wonderful, and then you talk to people who don't get them at all. I thought Death at a Funeral was a beautiful little film by my friend Frank. Oh, there's an awful lot of people didn't even get to see it. It's extraordinary. Yeah, it is, because if it doesn't, you know, come rocketing out of the gate, then it can get lost, and then it's got to be... Well, like, it's all about the first Friday night now, you know. Yeah. And uh, the first Friday night is determined not but, well, by whether it's a great film, because nobody knows what it is. Friday night's determined by whether they can make a good 30-second commercial out of it. And I said to the guy who was in charge of marketing when we did Fish Called Wander, I said, what was the hardest kind of... Uh, of film to sell, and he said anything original because you can't oh, describe yeah. it in a sentence. That's true. People like it's like it's like this mixed with this. Oh, okay. There you go. Yeah, if you say that, it's exactly it's X meets Y. Then people say, "Oh, I get it," and they go. But if it's really original, what used to happen back in the old days was that it would sit in a cinema for two or three weeks, and then if it was good, it would find an audience because people say, "Oh, you've got to see that." I've never heard this film. People would go two weeks later and say, "Oh, it's great," and the film would would stay around for a long time. Now it's off after a week if they haven't decided it's a hit. 
Yeah, but then sometimes films can you know live on in uh, in on DVD or in the old days video cassette. People go back yes, and them and be, become hits posthumously. That is absolutely true, and sometimes things that weren't recognized at the time can become big hits later on. What they call sleepers. Oh, that was the name of yeah, the Woody yeah. Allen film. Sleeper. Exactly. There you go. It all comes back full circle. So when you guys were writing the okay. six of you, was it difficult to convince each other what was funny, or did you were you guys pretty like minded, or did you trust that while well, Eric's got a different sense of humor, me or Michael has a different sense of humor? I, I trust this is fun. Well, we did have different sense of humor, but, but when, when, when somebody read something out that was really funny, there uh, was never any argument. I mean, you could, uh, we, we, you know, we'd write for, in our different pair, pairings uh, for uh, a few days and get together and read it out, and then you just knew. I mean, some of the sketches were obviously very, very funny, and they went in the show, and others laid an egg, and they were quietly laid to rest. And then there were others where people would say, well, I like the bit in the middle, but I don't like the beginning and the end, which is why we discovered we didn't have to end sketches in formal ways, you know. Uh, but the main thing about it was that the one thing we could agree on was what was funny. We couldn't agree on anything else. We used to argue a lot about the scripts, never about who played what part, because we were primarily writers, so people find it hard to believe. We never argued about who was going to play what part, but we used to get quite upset about whether whether a sketch was, was being developed in the right in the right uh, direction or not, or whether something was funny, or whether we should do this rather than that, and those uh, those uh, those arguments could get pretty heated. So uh, there was a great deal of agreement, and most of it was rooted about the fact that we laughed at most of the same things. And you, performing, I guess, finally, uh, you took a liking to. Yeah, I, I was always a, primarily a writer, and so were the others. Um, and we sort of, we fell into form, performing because we had fun performing. We also realized we'd probably do it better than anyone else did. So it was that uh, the performing came second. And I know that surprises people. It's absolutely true. Terrific. Well, thanks for doing this, taking the time. Uh, enjoy Cleveland, my hometown. Maybe go catch the ball game tonight uh, or, or tomorrow night, depending on your schedule. And uh, we'll see you down here in Cincinnati. Uh, in a couple of weeks. Excellent. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, Cincinnati Kid was one of my favorite movies. Oh, okay. I'm looking forward to it. Terrific. Remember the bead of sweat on Steve McQueen? Oh, yeah. Sorry. Steve McQueen, yeah. All right. I look forward to seeing Cincinnati. All right. Bye. A tremendous thanks to John Cleese for being on the show. Man, what a what a huge, huge interview. And what a nice guy, right? And he'll be in Kansas uh, this week, uh, Overland Park, Manhattan, Kansas, um, then up to Minnesota, Wisconsin. Easiest way to find the dates, just Google John Cleese tour dates and it'll pop right up. Uh, it, they're either available on his page or the Monty Python page. And as you heard, it's going to be a showing of Holy Grail and then uh, a discussion with the audience, kind of a question and answer period. So do be sure to check that out. Uh, I also want to give a shout out, by the way, to our friends podcast, Rock Solid. Uh, they've had an amazing run lately of great guests. Uh, the, just on last week, Action Skulls features Vicky Peterson off of the Bangles, John Cousel off of Cousels and the touring drummer for the Beach Boys, and Bill Mooney, uh, ex-Lost in Space, Babylon 5, and musically of the duo Barnes and Barnes, but he's released tons and tons and tons of solo stuff since Barnes and Barnes. So check out Pat's podcast as well. And then he's got another huge guest coming up in a couple of weeks. I don't think I'm telling tales out of school. Uh, Stuart Copeland is going to be one of his guests. He, he put that out on Facebook, so... 
And as for this podcast, if you want to go back and cherry-pick the archives, feel free to do so. If you go into iTunes, the last 300 episodes or 350 should be in there, uh, although we're only at 323, so there's probably not 350 episodes. Last 300 or so episodes should be in there, pfradio.podbean.com, although it's probably easier to navigate through iTunes. Uh, Stitcher or any of the other places you get podcasts are probably all stacked up in a row for you conveniently. We've had Mark Marin, Jimmy Pardo, Lewis Black, uh, all kinds of other great folks. Chris Hardwick just last week. So do check those out as well. Stay with us uh, for the remainder, I guess. Uh, subscribe in iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts, and then everything will be sorted. So our song of the week, uh, we produce this podcast in Cincinnati, Ohio. This band is from Cincinnati, Ohio. Uh, Fangirl and I met them well, when we were slinging T-shirts for our friend Josh Sneed and Cincy Shirts at the uh, All-Star game a couple years ago here in Cincinnati. It's Walk the Moon, and I think you're going to dig their new track. It is called One Foot, and uh, I really like it. I liked it uh, first time out of the gate, and I think you are going to, too. Uh, it is our song of the week, Walk the Moon, One Foot, PF State Recorder, so long, and thanks for listening. Not a soul up ahead and nothing behind. There's a desert in my blood and a storm in your eyes. Am I the king of nothing at all? And you're the queen of nothing at all. Well, I remember the fight and I forget the pain I got my hand in your pocket and my key in your chain Am I the king of nothing at all? And you're the queen of nothing at all Of the other